Ezekiel chapter number one. Ezekiel chapter number one. Pray for me that I won't put you to sleep. And uh, after, a, as uh, one missionary would say, after a meal like today, I'm I'm all fed up. I'm fed up. And so, uh, uh huh, yeah. That was Tom Godet, so you can blame it on him. So. Ezekiel chapter number one, with all the recent events this past year in our country, honestly, it's left a lot of people confused, anxious, scared. It's as if the wheels have suddenly come off their life and and nothing is sure anymore. And um, everything's called into question. It's left many asking, where's God in all this? Or, Or why is he allowing this to happen? Well, this is the type of situation that's facing Ezekiel and his fellow exiles in Babylon. Only for them, it was several times worse. You see, their world had been upended. And amid the confusion, the crisis of faith and despair, the hand of God was on Ezekiel to bring God's message of repentance, of restoration, and hope to them. And whether you are in full-time ministry or a church member just seeking to make a difference for God in your community, we need to also have the hand of God on our lives and on our ministries so that, we, so that, that God can use us to accomplish His plans and purposes to those at, at this time in history. Here in Ezekiel chapter number 1, we're going to read the first three verses. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, In the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. This afternoon, I'd like to speak on the subject, how to have the hand of God on your life in church. Let's pray before we begin. Father, it's been good to be in your house today. It's been good, this whole missions conference. And I just pray that you would continue the work which you have um, continued in the lives of this church and in the lives of the individual members that you would continue it and bring it to completion. And that day when we get a chance to see you face to face. And Father, may we hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, help us this afternoon to set aside the cares of this life, maybe things going on uh, this coming week, maybe is uh, drawing our attention away. And I just pray that you would help us to focus on your word for these next few minutes. And uh, Father, I I pray that we would all have the attitude of the psalmist who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, if there's anything that's in our life, any sin, uh, anger, disobedience, rebellion, jealousy, envy, Uh, anything along those lines, any sin. Father, we pray that you would reveal that to us so that we may repent of that and get right with you. 
And Father, if there is anyone here this afternoon that does not know you as their Savior, we do pray for them. Want them to know that this church is here, exists here to be able to help them and, 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 and to show them the way of salvation. I pray that in your timing that they would be saved. Father, we ask your blessings to be upon this next few minutes and ask you to bless your word. It's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. The phrase, the hand of the Lord, is used several times in the book of Ezekiel. But uh, exactly what does that phrase mean, the hand of the Lord? Now we know that God is a spirit, so he doesn't have a physical hand. So this is used as a metaphor. Metaphorically speaking, what does the hand of the Lord mean? Now, maybe some people would think that means that God is generally blessing Ezekiel's life. But when we look at how that phrase is used in Scripture, we, we come away with a, with a more clear understanding of what that phrase means. The phrase, the hand of the Lord, is found actually 35 times in the Old Testament. And if we were to take the time to go through and, and study each and every one of those verses, we would see that in most situations, in most cases, the hand of the Lord meant that, um, well, was a, was a way of, Describing the Lord's power. And in Ezekiel's case, the hand of the Lord upon Ezekiel meant that, that God was working in him and through him, empowering him to accomplish his plans and purposes to those in exile. By way of application, in 2021, the lives of so many people have been upended this past year. And perhaps there's no better time in recent history than right now for us as, as, as children of God, as, as individual believers, and as well as our churches, to have the hand of God in our lives and our ministries so that God can use us and empower us to accomplish His plans and purposes to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this message here this afternoon, we're going to see several aspects of Ezekiel's life and that by making personal application we too may also have the hand of God on our lives and, and on our churches. First of all, I want you to see, look in verse number three, to have the hand of God on your life and ministry, you must first of all surrender to the will of God. You must <clears throat> surrender to the will of God. Verse three, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Kabar, and, and notice this, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. For Ezekiel, where was there? Notice that word there. It was there upon him. For Ezekiel, there was there in the land of Babylon. And uh, I can assure you it wasn't Ezekiel's choice to be there, but it was God's will. When we talk about surrender, surrender means to yield ownership over what we consider to be ours, whether it's our life, our property, our time, our money, our aspirations, our dreams, and even our so-called rights, so to speak. And when we surrender to God, we're simply acknowledging that what we own actually belongs to Him and that what we are to care for as stewards, the things that He has given us. And by surrendering those things to God, we admit that He is in control of everything we own, 
including our property and our time and, and our money and, and our rights and even our present circumstances. Now, Ezekiel was born in the land of Judah to a family of priests. And he would have grown up, no doubt, being told by his father, possibly his uncles and other relatives, of what life will be like of serving in the temple. And, you know, certainly he had his dreams and aspirations of how ministry will go, but sadly they never came. In the year 597 B.C., when Ezekiel was 25 years old, he, along with his wife and many others, were taken as an exile to Babylon. You see, God had used Nebuchadnezzar to conquer his people because they refused to repent of their sin, of their rebellion, and their idolatry. And friends, sin always has a cost. And those 70 years of exile in Babylon was a tremendous heavy price to pay for the Jewish people as they suffered the loss of their homes, their properties, their incomes, their, their businesses, and eventually their worship center. I can picture in my mind's eye Ezekiel at 2,500 years, I mean, sorry, at 25, at 25 years old, beginning the 700-mile walk with his wife on the way to this foreign city. And, and maybe as they round the last bend or go over the, the last hilltop, I can picture in my mind's eye Ezekiel looking back and, and taking one last glimpse of that glorious Jerusalem temple, a temple in which he had prepared his whole life to serve in as a priest, but in which circumstances beyond his control would never come to pass. Really, I can only imagine what was going through Ezekiel's mind I, I imagine the disappointment he would have felt. He had prepared his whole life for that moment when he could enter temple service. But uh, pastors, life and ministry doesn't always go as we had hoped, does it? Our life doesn't always go the way we imagine that it would go. Now, sometimes it's the result of our own sin. Sometimes it's the result of someone else's sin. And sometimes it's just a situation that's beyond our control. But can you relate a little bit to Ezekiel this afternoon? Maybe you've had some, some plans and dreams for your life, but it just didn't turn out the way that you were hoping or the way that you were expecting. For Ezekiel, his response was to surrender to the will of God. I, I imagine the confusion he would have felt, <laughs> thinking, now what am I supposed to do? What does God's judgment on my nation mean for me? Is God done with me even before I begin ministry? By the way, he'd wait five years before getting an answer to those questions. Maybe this afternoon you find yourself in a situation, and maybe you're confused at how this is going to affect your life how it's going to affect your family, maybe even your church or your ministry. But in spite of the confusion, Ezekiel lived in a state of surrender. I imagine the stress Ezekiel would have been under, not knowing what life will be like. I don't know about you, but I like to have a, I guess I like to have a schedule. I, I like to know where I'm going to be on what days and, and, and what I'm going to be doing when I get there. 
But uh, in my mind's eye, I think Ezekiel's got to be thinking, what's going to happen to my wife and I? How, how are we going to live? How am I going to support my family? And although he experienced disappointment, confusion, uncertainty, he knew this captivity was God's judgment on his nation. And he surrendered his life, his ministry, and even his future to God. And as a result, he was right where God wanted him to be. To have the hand of God on our life, like Ezekiel, we also need to surrender our lives, our aspirations, our desires, our will, our reputation, our rights, and our future to God. Maybe you've made some mistakes in your past. Maybe you've made some decisions and, and um, they, they just didn't turn out the way that you had planned. And now is the time to, to surrender. Whatever state, whatever situation you find yourself in, there's a state of surrender. Okay, Lord, I made some mistakes. Now, what do you want from me? I, I'm willing to surrender. I, I want to surrender. Where would you, what, what would you have me to do? So, first of all, to have the hand of God on your life and ministry... You must not only surrender to the will of God, but secondly, you must have a steady walk with God. Look in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. When Ezekiel and the other captives arrived in Babylon, they settled into the area near the Kabar River. And as the events of chapter 1 unfold, we learn that they had been there for five years. Now, to put this in a little bit of context for you, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, well, let me back up even then. There was a total of three deportations from Judah to Babylon. Daniel and the three Hebrew children we're in the first deportation eight years before the second deportation in which Ezekiel and many of the other skillful, the skilled people of the land were taken as an exile to Babylon. And so um, the first deportation was eight years before. The second deportation came, and, and now we're five years after that. So I, you know, I went to public school, but I think that adds up to 13 years. So they're roughly 13 years into their 70-year exile when Ezekiel receives this vision, this call from God to be a prophet. Now, uh, as I mentioned, they were there for five, he was there for five years, and a lot can happen in five years. Would Ezekiel remain faithful to God? Or would he succumb to, to doubt and anger and bitterness and turn his back on God? Well, in verse 1, as we read here in the middle of the verse, as as he says, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar. Well, that's when this, the heavens open, he gets this vision, and we can read about this vision all throughout the rest of chapter number one, chapter number two, and into chapter number three. At this, this vision ends at verse 14 of chapter number three, where we read, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness, in the, in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. 
Then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Abib that dwelt by the river of Kabar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. So back in chapter number one, he, in verse one, so he gets this vision, and at the end of the vision, we read that he goes into the town of Tel Abib. So this vision happened outside the town of Tel Aviv by the riverbank of the river Kabar. Now, some people have suggested that phrase in chapter 1, verse 1, as I was among the captives, uh, meant, you know, in uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 13, where the apostle Paul comes into the city of Philippi and he goes down to the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. There wasn't a, a synagogue there, and so he... He went down to the riverside. Some people have suggested that that phrase, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, meant that he, he, was, uh, that he was in a prayer meeting with some of the other faithful exiles there at the riverbank. Others have suggested that that phrase in chapter 1, verse 1, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, meant that Ezekiel was living in the town with Tel Aviv with the other exiles, but then maybe as any other believer would do under such dire circumstances, Ezekiel just wanted to get alone with God, have some time by the riverside to pray and to see God's face. And friends, in either scenario, whichever way it was, the, the answer to our question is the same. Did Ezekiel remain faithful to God during those five years in captivity? Yes, he did. He remained faithful despite living in difficult circumstances. And after five years, we still find Ezekiel walking with God. Those five years were a discouraging time, no doubt, for many of the exiles as they're trying to reconcile their faith with their present uh, situation. Maybe they're asking questions like, uh, is, wasn't Jehovah really God? Aren't we Jews God's chosen people? Had not... Jehovah defeated our enemies and given us the promised land? Is not Jerusalem his holy city and, and the temple? Isn't that uh, where God's presence is? Many of those exiles became disappointed and discouraged and defeated. It was because they lost focus. They, 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 they took their eyes off of God. But friends, Ezekiel never lost his focus. He maintained a walk with God. In the year 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted to become the first woman to swim the 21 miles across the Catalina Channel off the southern coast of California. The water was ice cold. Uh, the tide and the currents were against her. Sharks were spotted in the area. And the fog was so thick that she could barely see her support group in the boats that followed her. She swam for 15 hours and became physically exhausted. And not being able to see the shore due, due to the thick fog, she lost hope. She stopped swimming and was pulled out of the water. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a mile away. Friends, it wasn't the cold water that caused her to lose hope. It wasn't the tide or the currents. It wasn't even the sharks. 
It was the fog. Later, she said, all I could see was the fog. I, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Friends, this afternoon, maybe there's, there's, a, there's someone here that you're in a foggy season of life. You're living in a fog of trouble, of, of worry, of doubt, of, of depression. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's health problems. Maybe it's financial uncertainty. Maybe it's strained relationships with family or friends or coworkers. Would you consider Florence Chadwick's words where she said, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And by the way, she did a couple weeks later uh, and was successful the second time. Though we may find ourselves in a foggy season of life or in times of disappointment, may, may, may God help us with the eyes of faith to be able to cut through that fog to see the shore of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we can keep, so that we can keep our eyes focused on him. And by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, we can keep our eyes on him and maintain a steady walk with him despite whatever situation we find ourselves in. To have the hand of God on your life, you must not only surrender to the will of God, but secondly, you must have a steady walk with God. Thirdly, you must see the wonder of God. In verse number three, uh, one again, now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. This date is permanently etched into Ezekiel's mind. He knew exactly how old he was. He was 30 years old, four months old, and five days old. For maybe some of us who are old enough, it might be similar to asking the question, where were you on 9-11 when the Twin Towers fell? You see, we all have dates and and experiences that are permanently seared into our memories. God was going to uh, reveal himself to Ezekiel in such a way that he never would have imagined in his wildest dreams. Whether Ezekiel went to a prayer meeting that day or just wanted to get alone with God and have some time with him, it was just like any other day that morning when he woke up and got out of bed. But God made that day a turning point in his life. And friends, we just never know what a difference a day will make when we are seeking God and living for him. From a human perspective, I mean, these exiles were in a hopeless situation. And no doubt many were in a crisis of faith, wondering, where's God in all this? Well, on this rather ordinary day, God decided to show up and answer that question. Where, where was God? he was right there in Babylon with them. He was right there with his people. This vision that was given to Ezekiel showed him and the Jewish people that God's not limited to a temple in Jerusalem. But he is right there with his people in their captivity. Like many of the exiles at that time in captivity today, Many believers have a limited view of God. You see, they, they live in such a way that 
they just really don't believe that God can make a difference in their life or is able to turn their present situation around. Through this vision, Ezekiel got a healthy dose of the fear of God. And if we desire to have the hand of God on our life, we too need to have a proper fear of God. To fear God means to have an exalted view of God. It means to stand in awe of His majesty, of His might, of His power, of His wisdom, of His grace. I mean, let's just consider Jesus Christ for a few moments. Here, here is Jesus Christ that created everything by simply speaking it. He created light. Let, he said, let there be light. And through creation, God brought light and life to a dark and lifeless planet. And if there's someone here this afternoon that is not saved, understand that Jesus wants to bring light and life to your dark and lifeless soul as well. And after creation, then Jesus didn't stop there. He comes and lives among us. He was born into this world. He experienced, he, he knows what it was like to be hungry, to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to live in this flesh. He calmed the storm with the words, peace be still. He, he fed multitudes with, with, with a, a few fishes and loaves of bread. He opened the ears of the deaf, raised the dead. And then the greatest of all, he willingly goes to the cross and bears the punishment of our sin on the cross. And then three days later, triumphantly rising from the dead. And now he is able to give eternal life to all who turn from their sin and repentance and, and believe on him with all their heart. What a great and grand and glorious God we have. Amen. Do we really think God's up in heaven wringing his hands over the current political situation of our country or the next COVID variant that comes along? Of course not. And having a healthy dose of the fear of God, you know what it does? One thing that it does, it gives us the confidence that God is in control, that God is sovereign. In Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2, he says, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot re redeem? Behold, I, behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. When someone asks me to sign their Bible, I'll sign it with Luke 137, which says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. God is is." is readily able to take care of his property. I was just reading this morning in 1 Samuel 5, I was kind of laughed out loud a little bit and told my kids that this is just one chapter I come to, I just smile, and that's where the Ark of God was taken in the chapter before, and the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant, right? And they just think this is great. And they put in the house of Dagon, and the next morning they walk in, and Dagon, boom. He's just picture in your mind's eye, the priest like, oh, they go, oh, let's set them back up here. The next day they come in and 
boom, head chopped off, arms off. It's like, wow. And then the judgments and, and uh, the people in the one city suffering from the judgments. And they'll send this to the next town. And it gets there. And they start having problems. They, we don't want it. It becomes this hot potato. And uh, friends, God is in control. Eventually, they get the idea that says, okay, let's, uh, let's send it back to where it belongs. And uh, as the chaos just rages in our world and in our country, if you're saved today and, and, and you know that you're saved, God is your father and God is well able to take care of his property and having a healthy dose of the fear of God gives us that confidence that he is in control. Now, none of us are going to admit, verbally anyways, to one to another, that we have a small view of God. But our actions just show how big we think God is. For example, as you approach uh, the Rocky Mountains, or, or maybe up here, I guess, the Southern Range, or whatever you, you call it up here, you know, from a great distance away, those mountains just like, look like little hills, don't they? But then you you get to the base of one of those mountains and you look up and you're like, wow, that's big. Or you're outside and, and, and you look up in the sky and you see a plane fly over at 35,000 feet and you're thinking, wow, that's really small. And then you're at the airport and you're at your gate looking out the window and there's a 747 sitting out there and you're like, man, that thing's massive. How in the world can that chunk of metal ever get off the ground? How big is God for you? Well, friends, his size is going to depend on the distance you are from him. You have a small view of God as if you just view God as, you know, huh, he's just the big guy upstairs. Or view God, you know, from that distance of, you know, you just see the mountains way off in the distance that look like little hills or, or just that little tiny plane flying over. Likewise, friends, you have a big view of God as if you view God as you're, you're at the base of Mount Denali looking up or you're standing next to a 747. Your distance from God is going to affect your view of him. And the closer you are to God, the bigger he will be in your life and your view of him will be that of a great and awesome and loving and powerful God that he is. And if that's not how you view him this afternoon, then, then maybe you just need to get a closer look. Amen. Well, to have the hand of God on your life and ministry, you must surrender to the will of God. You must have a steady walk with God. You must see the wonder of God. And fourthly, you must seek to work for God. What I mean by that, just to maintain the alliteration, I admit, um, what I mean by that is that you are available and ready to use as God sees fit. And here in verse number three, we read, The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. Friends, though Ezekiel was a priest, God had a new occupation for him, that of a prophet. Before the captivity, Ezekiel had been looking forward to serving in the temple and having a long and fruitful ministry as a priest. God, however, had different plans for him. God wanted Ezekiel to be his messenger to those in exile. And Ezekiel the priest was hereafter to be known as Ezekiel the prophet. 
Now, after this vision, we read that Ezekiel felt the enormous weight of this call, but there is nothing recorded in Scripture where Ezekiel fought, fought this call or he argued with God about it. He spent five years in captivity waiting to learn what the next stage of his life and ministry would be. And when that call came, he was available. This afternoon, are you available for God to use as he pleases? Is your life open to his call? Some may say, well, I'm already a pastor. Well, what if God wants you to go to the mission field? That happened, didn't it? Or, I'm already a missionary. Well, what if God wants you to become a pastor? Or, I've been from coast to coast and north to south, and I just sense a general belief or a, just a general sentiment amongst God's people that well, you know, I'm, I'm not in my 20s or 30s anymore. You know, that, that's, you know, that's when God calls people, you know, in their 20s and maybe early 30s. But, you know, I'm not in my 20s or 30s anymore. I'm, I'm over the hill. I, I have a family, established family. I have a career. I have, I, I have a home. I have all these things. Well, friends, what if God wants you out of your career and into the ministry? Is, is, is your life available for him to use as he pleases? Are we ones who would say, here am I, Lord, send me? Or are we ones who would say, here am I, Lord, send my sister? <clears throat> it's, it's, it's our natural sinful human behavior to begin making excuses when God begins moving in our hearts and, 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 and directing us to maybe a particular ministry in our church or maybe into full-time service, uh, it, it's, it's, it's natural to want to begin to make excuses on why we shouldn't do that, why we shouldn't surrender. For example, if, if God were to uh, call me off the mission field and, and either start a church or pastor somewhere. I, believe me, I can come up with a lot of excuses on, on, on why I wouldn't make a very good pastor. But I have to stop and remember that, first of all, with God's callings comes his enablings. Amen? And secondly, God's not interested in my excuses. He's interested in my surrender. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander as well. Amen? He's not interested in your excuses. He wants your surrender as well. If you, want the hand to, if you want to have the hand of God on your life, then you will need to be available to his call, be available to his direction, his leadership. You need to be available to be what he wants you to be. You need to be available to do what he wants you to do. And he wants you to be available for him to make you into the man, woman, child, teenager he wants you to be. To have the hand of God on your life, ministry on your church, you must first of all surrender to the will of God. Secondly, you must have a steady walk with God. Thirdly, you must see the wonder of God. Fourthly, you must seek to work for God. And finally and quickly, you must submit 
to the word of God. Verse 3 again, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. Friends, God just didn't have something to show Ezekiel. He had something to say. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, and the purpose of Ezekiel's vision was to give him a message and to those in exile. And that message is, is that God is moving. God is allowing himself to be seen in what appeared to be a God-forsaken place. They were not alone, after all. God was right there with them in their captivity. And friends, in whatever situation you're in, in whatever situation the people here in North Pole and Fairbanks and Alaska are in, it is a message of hope that people still need today is that God loves you. He is interested in you. He desires a relationship with you. In fact, you could say he died to have a relationship with you. In spite of our circumstances, despite our sin, God is with his people. He always has been and always will be. What an, in, uh, just an enduring message of hope, amen? The phrase, the word of the Lord, came is used 50 times in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel wasn't saying, this is what I think you should do or what I suggest you should do. This was a thus saith the Lord. This is a message from God. And as you read through the book of Ezekiel, <laughs> you know that God had Ezekiel do some pretty crazy things. Amen. <laughs> do some really interesting things. And uh, we see that he not only received God's word, but friends, he submitted to it. He obeyed. God, he, he did what God told him to do, though it was not easy and though it was not popular. And to have the hand of God in our life means that we too need to submit to the word of God. It means that we may find ourselves moving against the current of our society, of our culture. My pastor has often said, any old dead log can float downstream. But friends, it's going to take faith, it's going to take courage to obey this book and go against that stream. One last verse. Take your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. As we close... 2 Chronicles chapter 16. If Luke 137 did not turn out to be my life's verse, it may very well this verse may have become, become it. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse number 9 we read, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. A perfect heart is not a sinless heart, but a heart that is yielded to the Lord and fully trusting him. Friends, God is looking for men and women and teenagers and children that he can use. He's looking for people that he could put his hand on so that he can work in them and through them, empowering them to accomplish his plans and his purposes at this time in history. So in conclusion, to be the kind of person who has the hand of God on them, you must first of all surrender to the will of God. Secondly, you must have a steady walk with God. Third, you must see the wonder of God. 
Fourth, you must seek to work for God, to be available. And finally, you must submit to the word of God. Let's close in prayer. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this narrative that's here in our Old Testament and how thousands of years later it's still, it's still challenging us. It challenges me. And um, Father, how we need to have our churches, our families, and as individual believers, we need to have your hand on us. Father, first of all, help us to surrender to your will. Maybe there's people here who've made some decisions, some bad decisions in their life, made some wrong choices, and maybe forfeited your perfect will for their life, but they're here now and willing to say, okay, let's, let's start from here and just surrender to whatever stage of life they're in, whatever stage of minute of of, of their ability to, to minister is. I, I just pray that you would help us to surrender to your will. We pray that you'd help us to have a steady walk with you. I, I know that life is so busy, but help us to take that time every day to come apart and just meet with you and reading your word and having time of prayer and fellowship with you. Help us to see your wonder and just to be in awe of you and to have that proper fear of God. It gives us the comfort and the encouragement that you are in control. Though it just seems like everything is coming apart at the seams, we can be confident in you. And that we may take that confidence so you can use that in our life to encourage the brethren to, to be a witness and a testimony to those around us who are fearful and scared and panicking. Father, help us to be available to whatever you'd have us to do for those members here through this church or if you're even working on someone's heart and calling them into full-time service. Just we pray that whatever stage of life we're at, that we would be available for, for you to use as you see fit and help us to submit to your word we may go against our culture and society we just pray that you would help us to have the boldness and the faith to be able just to submit to your word father we ask you to have your will and your way in each and every one of our hearts here th this afternoon may you be glorified in it all in christ's name we pray amen